answer? Should I answer now? How should I say something to sound really smart? What was, what was that last <laughs> thing I was supposed to pick up from the groceries? Your head just goes, you know. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is a marketing and the F is a well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends, old and new, that I've met through my B2B marketing career as an in-house leader, trusted advisor to clients, working with agencies as an analyst, and with my own firm. Come say hello at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 2nd of April. It's a long weekend here in the UK and wherever you are, I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. We're changing up a bit this week. Jeff Clark will join me in a moment as we start a new mini-series called Privacy, The Marketer's Dilemma. I have two guests this week as I attempt a three-way with Christine Bailey and Jeremy Bevan, both launching their own consultancies. And finally, we get back to our normal programming as I round off the week with Robert Rose and a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment. This week, my friend Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former research director for Serious Decisions Forrester, joins me to kick off a new series, Privacy and the Marketer's Dilemma. Welcome back, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Charlie, How are you doing? I'm doing very well. And it's all changed this week because we're not going to do uh, Wonderwalls and One Hit Wonders. wonders. We are going to start a new series called Privacy, the Marketer's Dilemma, which I think it sounds interesting. So we'll do this for the next few weeks. Um, and coincidentally, we were talking about doing this last week, and um, I saw an article on LinkedIn by uh, Mark Schaefer. Now, we have to pay attention to that, don't we, because Mark Schaefer's written books and stuff, so he's, he's obviously... Uh, you know, somebody we should listen to. But he wrote, how can personalization and data privacy coexist? No, I like Mark. I'm only kidding. How can pri- So he wrote, how can personalization data privacy coexist? And I'll add a link to this in the show notes. Um, but he's talking about, and as everybody's talking about, is about the fact that Google is going to block third party cookies. Uh, most people think that's in a way so that then Google can actually own all our data and not spread it around. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and um, is talking about how People are already taking privacy into their own hands. They're starting to use ad blocker software, um, and that people, and it's particularly prevalent in B2B. You know, the organizations that we work for, for example, are very, you know, they, they sort of block the spam and, the, and the kind of emails we get to see and stuff like that. We're all now working from home. So there's a lot more virtual selling. There's a lot more engagement online. Uh, and, and then Mark goes on to make a lot of great points uh, that I won't go into here. But I thought it was coincidental we were going to start this thing. Yeah. So I thought I'd mention that article. And just to kick this this particular topic off, Jeff, what say you? What say you? You're a very interesting way of, <laughs> of asking what do you say. And anyway, right, so um, what do you, now what do you think then? So where do we start with this privacy topic? Well, I, you know, it is with a lot of these topics, um, you're not to show my age, but I always think back. It's gosh, I remember back in, you know, the year, whatever, we were talking about something. And, and so I was thinking back to, it was late 90s and Seth Godin, another guy who's published a lot of books in marketing. Yep. 
put out a book about permission-based marketing, yeah. which was, um, you know, I just remember when I was starting at a company and it was like, it was the rage. Everybody yeah. was talking about permission-based marketing and it, you know, it was the answer to a number of years of, of email marketing where, you know, we went from having little lists of clients that we would email to, to my yeah. gosh, I can buy lists and I can just yeah. like spam people. And, yeah. and, um, and so, you know, so that was around 1999. And, and so, you know, this morning, you know, I probably spent a half an hour in, um, you know, deleting spam in yeah. reviewing my, um, the tool that quarantines emails and says, do you want to release this? Do you want to yeah. block the sender? And it's like, and, and I realized that some of the same people have been just sending over and over and over again. It's like, okay, so now I got to get off. I got to get out of this. I probably should release it so I can go to the unsubscribe button at the bottom yeah. of the email. And it's just like, it, it is, you know, we have, and even with some of the topics we've talked about recently, like personalization, it's like, have we learned anything yet about the <laughs> fact that you're not going to get through to your audience, whether you're spamming them by an email, whether you're flooding them with retargeting um, yeah. uh, ads, or um, or you're getting phone calls because they figured out they tied it to a phone number. And it is, it's just, it is, um, I don't know, it's, it's, for one thing, I think it's a waste of time from the marketer's perspective because you're... Yeah you're not really connecting with the people who, who want to connect with you. Uh, and it's a waste of time as a consumer. And I often think of this, this stuff is, it's like, I, yes, I'm a marketer, but I'm really a consumer first because I'm a human yeah. being first. <laughs> and so do yeah, I want, yeah, yeah. do I want people bugging me because somehow Google or Facebook or whoever has derived some information that says this guy could be a target for yeah. fill in the blank stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's—I don't know—it it, to me that is part of the dilemma um, because I know a lot of marketers are really under pressure to yeah. to generate demand. You know, yeah. we got to tell people in sales, "Here's who's out shopping for your stuff." And I found yeah. out from G two Crowd or whatever site that—and yeah. I'm not trying to like you know no. say that they're bad or whatever—but it's like there are a lot of sites that will deliver you a whole lot of. In, mm-hmm. you know intent insights mm-hmm. um and uh and have i given them permission to actually let people know that i'm out shopping yeah no i like that and then the um if we break that down is you know i mean we're calling this segment the marketer's dilemma and i think that is the dilemma isn't it is every time i talk to a marketer um in the interview or or, or in the publication where i talked about what do you want to throw into the rockstar CMO swimming pool? And in- inevitably, they want to throw something around in there that in- that invades their privacy or is creepy or buggy or annoying or whatever. And a lot of that comes through data-driven marketing or um, yeah. marketing or remarketing and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's interesting. That that's the dilemma, isn't it? We we find it annoying ourselves and yet have no problem at all pressing the button on the big marketing automation machine, which is no. go bug the heck out of somebody else. You know, I, I mean, I've, since I mean, I've primarily worked for us-based companies although one we work yeah. for uk-based company but you know so many yeah. as companies it's like and actually the, the last place i worked at we had this which i won't mention the name but anyway because we had this dilemma we're telling people to here's the rules for gdpr here's how you honor it yeah. here's you know here's 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 how you come in compliance and yet yeah. our marketing team's like 
Dan, we can't email those people in Europe. <laughs> you know, and it's like <laughs> so, to tell them about GDPR. <laughs> that's, that's right. So that yeah, yeah. talk about the dilemma, but yeah. it is. Um, I, I mean, found I that just, funny actually because I did get a load of emails selling me stuff around GDPR, which were non-GDPR compliant emails. Correct. Um, yeah. And I think at the time, anyway, I was at a, um, a German software company, so they, you know, the double opt-in and all that stuff in Germany was already well in place so their privacy yeah. laws are much stricter anyway yeah. so yeah. we had it was the cleanest database i guess i've ever worked with but um yeah that was the that was ironic opening my email box yeah. to people flogging me gdpr services that were not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean one one of the things i think we have to watch out for again if we're thinking of ourselves as as both consumers and humans and as mm-hmm. as um uh you know as as marketers is that this this um What's going on with the the big tech companies and and, yeah. and also with some of the um, the uh, um, internet service providers is that they're just scooping up this tons of data, and yeah. I've just been reading this book called Surveillance Capitalism by uh, Shoshana Zuboff, wow. and it is a it's a monster of a book. If any, but if anybody wants to go through all these different case studies of of seeing how our our data is being misused. Mm-hmm. It is a, um, I mean, it's, it's just a great, it's a great resource for that. The one that really, uh, you know, perked my attention, which it was in Germany when Google, um, street view was going through and capturing, um, the street views, you know, here's, mm-hmm. here, as they go down the street, here's what mm-hmm. these, you know, houses and build businesses look like. Mm-hmm. They were actually scooping up information, Wi-Fi signals, passwords, wow. you know, personal information that was being transmitted. And somebody found this out and told the authorities in Germany mm-hmm. who called mm-hmm. Google on that. And they said, no, we, we don't do that. You know, and then, and then they said, well, okay, it, yeah, that did happen, but that was really a rogue programmer who let that, that happen. And, and then you realize, okay, it wasn't a rogue programmer. It was a committee mm-hmm. of programmers, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's just, it's like, can we trust these people with the information? That they, I mean, they think that they have, because if there are no rules, particularly in the United States, if there's, if nobody owns it and there's no rules that I can't own it, I'm going to yeah. go get it and I'm going to go use it. And there was a, there was a quote, um, in the book, uh, from not a modern quotation, but from, uh, um, Thomas Paine in his book about the rights, called the rights of man who objected mm-hmm. to aristocratic rule. And he says, I object to aristocratic rule because a body of men holding themselves accountable to nobody ought not to be trusted by anybody. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I think you know one of the, one of the things, and the more as I read out of the book, is that is that you know a lot of the big tech companies just, I mean, they they do have sort of an aristocratic air mm-hmm. about themselves. It's like you know we we know best. You know mm-hmm. we know the tech. You know, you you uh, you folks in Congress who are trying to regulate us. You you don't really get how this stuff yeah. works. Just let us take care of it. And certainly, right now, right now, I think they're they're more under fire, both from a um, anti-competitive perspective, but also from the use of privacy. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see we'll see where that goes. But I think that that's where we you know, if I just think back to um, the permission-based mm-hmm. marketing, is that one of the things, and one of my colleagues back at Forrester, Julian Archer, who was uh, who was the GDPR guy and the privacy mm-hmm. tech guy, I mean, we 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 really agree that it's like if you the best practice as marketers is to go back to that concept of permission-based yeah. marketing. It's like you want to 
you want to give people, you want to put yourself out there so people can yeah. opt in and then start the conversation. And it's kind of like being, you know, if I'm a shopkeeper, somebody walks into my store, they're open game yeah. for me to talk to them and ask them what they want and try to help yeah. them and stuff like that. And it's like, it's okay. So if I go to your website, um, that's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. I've opened the door. Let's, you know, you can you know, see what I've been doing yeah. on the website and see, put, per, uh, you know, targeted messages up, you know, use chat or whatever to see if you can engage me. And if I don't want to engage, then, you know, at least and maybe you've looked mm-hmm. for me to come back, but I've stepped into your yeah. store. But once you get out beyond yeah, yeah. your storefront, if you will, then you really need to be concerned about where am I getting information where people have opted in for me to contact them and where yeah, have they Yeah, not. and why is it important we talk about this now? I mean, we've just been talking about GDPR and all that stuff, and I know that Californian laws have changed, um, and we're just starting a series now. It, um, do, do you think that the Google um, uh, cookie thing is going to change things? And what, what, are the sort of, what sort of advice are you giving to clients at the moment who might have been concerned about that? So that's a um, that's an excellent question because I think I need to I need to dig a little bit more into the potential mm-hmm. ramifications. But I think one of the things that maybe you said this before we got on recording is that the is if the intent of what they're doing is so that mm-hmm. they own mm-hmm. the data that then they can um, use it either to market or to yeah. sell to people to market to you, then that's that's an issue. Um, and, and since that's one of the devices that helps people understand that people have come to my, mm-hmm. into my store <laughs> and done and started, then that's, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not proper. Um, and, um, so, so, but I think that, yeah, that's, that's something where we have to be thinking about, you know, maybe they're taking too much control and do we all have to like shift to browsers? I mean, I don't know how many mm-hmm. browsers you've been on since mm-hmm. the web started, but you know, it's like we could yeah, always find another sure. browser. Uh, and Apple does tend to be a little bit more, uh, respectful of data privacy mm-hmm. than, um, than the Googles and the Microsofts do. So, Hey, you know, let's, yeah, or, yeah. You know, anyway, there, there are other options and, and, um, yeah, and certainly you can do your more, um, you're, you're browsing where you're, uh, you're not identifying mm-hmm. yourself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's where, it's where the people need to kind of stand up. And so, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's back get back to the uh, Mark Schaefer article. I mean, that's what he was talking about too, that people are actually taking more responsibility of, of their um, own um, data. And so do you think that the world is just responding and we as marketers need to are just responding to a consumer demand that's already there, that, that people are going to do this anyway. And so we've got to figure out a way of marketing to people without their data. Yeah. One, we need to figure out how to uh, get people to mm-hmm. opt in, identify themselves um, uh and, and that's where in the data privacy tech world, there are certainly a lot of tools that have popped up for consent management, preference mm-hmm. management, um, data discovery to understand, you know, um, uh, is there somebody in my, you know, within the organization that is, that is, is capturing private information and, or personal information and, and misusing it. Um, so being, and, you know, being a good data mm-hmm. steward, uh, is all about having, your, you know, your data resources well managed so that you are, 
um, making the best use of the contacts with people who have given you permission to be in contact with them. Uh, And that gets back to the permission-based, you know, marketing gets back to personalization uh, and treating people with, uh, with respect. Yes. I think that's a good way to start this particular series. And where are we going to go to next? Do you think Jeff? I, well, I think the issue you, you bring up about what do we do, you know, what do we do with the complications of, uh, you know, you know, Google and their mm-hmm. new cookie policy it's, and, and people with, um, you know, maybe changing their browsing mm-hmm. behaviors or blocking this or, um, yeah. I mean, I think that, that what maybe thinking about what should the marketer do to make sure that they are engaging people mm-hmm. appropriately, um, irrespective yes. of the laws, irrespective yes. of GDPR, California privacy. That sounds laws, like a good place to go. So we'll, 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 we'll carry on with this next week. Um, what was the name of that book that you're reading? I think, uh, so I can include it in the show it notes. It is called, it is called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Mm-hmm. I can send you yes. the link. It is Shoshana Zuboff. I will, I will is her definitely name. include that. And then the article from Mark Schaefer was called How Can Personalization Data and Privacy Coexist? And he published that on LinkedIn. I'll include that in the show notes. And, and I know that, you know, when we were doing our mm-hmm. one hit wonders, we, we always did. had a tune we to did. roll out on. So I have what a suggestion. Private Eyes. I was thinking, I was thinking, um, somebody's watching me by Rockwell from the eighties. That's what I was thinking. Well, that's both eighties songs. (laughs) Yeah, we need to get more up to date than eighties songs. What what do you think? (laughs) We've got a series going on, so maybe we'll go. Yes, yes. There are other there are other ones that are out there as well, so I'm sure. All right, right. So I'll pick one of those, and um, that's what we'll play out with. And um, thank you very much for your time, Jeff. And I'll see you next week. Sounds great. Thank you. Bye. Jeff. And as I'm the one doing the edit, you'll notice I chose Rockwell. Somebody's watching me over Hall of Notes. Maybe next time I'll let him have a turn. So we've just got rolling on this big topic, which we'll continue next week. In the meantime, I'll include the link to the book Jeff refers to, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff, and the link to Mark Schaefer's article on LinkedIn, How Can Personalization and Data Privacy Coexist? On to our guests. This week, my first three-way interview, as I welcome Christine Bailey, someone we've featured a number of times here on the podcast and in our publication, and Jeremy Bevan, a first-time guest who it was my pleasure to recently meet. Regular listeners will remember Chris as the CMO of Valita, but she has recently founded Sophia Marketing Limited, delivering practical wisdom and insights-based marketing services to the technology and fintech sectors. You may also recall I should refer to Chris as Dr. Christine Bailey, as she has a doctorate DBA 
MBA in Customer Insight from Cranfield School of Management. She's recently published a book that we featured on the book called Customer Insight Strategies and has a string of accolades as a leading woman in tech and thought leader by B2B Marketing, Analytica and Thinkers360. Jeremy Bevan has led marketing teams in regional and global roles as Vice President Marketing for leading technology brands, including, most recently, at Cisco. He's just founded Purpose Rocks Limited, a company that helps leaders, individuals and teams who want to create real impact by shaping who they really are and bringing clarity to how they will make the difference. Jeremy is an award-winning marketing leader whose awards include 2019's Best Customer Engagement Initiative from B2B Marketing, Most Engaged Advocate Community at the 2019 BAMI Awards, a Return on Marketing Integration Award from Serious Decisions, and in 2017 and 2018, he was ranked Top 10 Most Influential Technology Marketers by B2B Marketing. I am truly in the presence of marketing greatness here. Let's see how we got on. Welcome, Jeremy Christine, to Rockstar CMO FM. This is my first, I don't know if I can put it this way, three-way on Rockstar CMO. So um, you'll have to bear with me on this. Let's see how this goes. Um, Christine, you're, we're familiar with you already. You've been on the show a few times. But Jeremy, Jeremy Bevan, uh, welcome. And um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, thank you. Yeah, great to be on the program. And um, yeah, I've literally just started uh, a company um, called Purpose Rocks. Mm. Um, I've started it after uh, 20 plus years of uh, being VP of of marketing in various uh, tech brands. Mm. And decided I really wanted to branch out on my own. I have a very cute acute not cute well maybe it's cute as well <laughs> interest in in coaching uh, on a one-to-one basis um predicated on values uh, purpose life purpose and re- what really what people really want to do with their lives and what they want to do with their careers and so mm-hmm. on so i have one-to-one coaching but it very closely ties with you know my passion for marketing um and chris and i have been um talking about the fact that we expect to collaborate and actually have already collaborated with uh, some clients on the topic of marketing and that coaching and marketing are actually very closely tied together with that word purpose which we'll talk a bit more about as we go through this program today yeah absolutely and christine uh christine bailey you've been on the show before we serialized your book last year which i very much enjoyed uh welcome back to the show thank you and you've also started your new thing Yes, yeah, so I've just set up um, Sophia Marketing, which mm-hmm. is Sophia being the Greek, ancient Greek word for practical wisdom, judgment nice. and intelligence. So I thought that, uh, that, that suited uh, mm-hmm. my purpose uh, ra- rather well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and uh, I, I've known Jeremy for many, many years. We worked together at Cambridge Technology Partners many moons ago and more recently um, together at Cisco. So, mm-hmm. yes, we're going to be uh, collaborating on some services. Nice, nice. And um, how how's it going so far? When did you start? Um, so we're only a few weeks in. Uh, uh-huh. um, I'll be focusing on providing strategic marketing services to uh, technology and fintech startups and skills. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm in partnership with um, Episode One Ventures, which is a venture capitalist uh, who all of their portfolio um, is in this space. So yeah splendid Splendid. nice and 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 jeremy back to 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 you about um purpose so so what is it that that you guys are doing why is purpose so important to us in marketing well you know the uh, the funny thing is that it's an easy word to say and i think in many ways it's a bit banded around a lot at the moment Mm -hmm. but but i think it is so crucial because in my experience working with marketing teams 
it's the one thing that differentiates teams that do outstanding marketing work from those that do just a lot of stuff, right? If yeah. I could just put it like that. Yeah. Um, and Chris and I were comparing notes on this because there's high relevance to what she also talks about uh, in her book as well, obviously grounded in, in good data. But, I, you know, I think the easiest way of looking at this is if you go to any company website mm-hmm. and just click on the About button where they're mm-hmm. meant to talk about their company mm-hmm. and just have a look at how many companies have actually got the, you know, why they exist, why they're really here, yeah. what do they do for their customers actually mm-hmm. nailed succinctly in a way that goes, okay, I get mm-hmm. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Most companies don't have that. In fact, many companies will just talk about themselves, about why they're a great company, but why should yeah. a customer care about that, really? Yeah. And actually, why do the employees in the company really work there? And why does the marketing team itself really exist? It's one of the things that I've spent a fair amount of time with the marketing teams I've worked with and I'm, yeah. I'm actually working with at the moment, by the way, in my coaching yeah. practice. Um, is, you know, what, why are they really here? I mean, the mm. classic debate of why, why do you have a regional marketing team? Mm-hmm. What's the purpose of the regional mm-hmm. marketing team versus the corporate or the global team? How do those mm-hmm. two things really work together? There's huge amounts of assumptions that normally sit in those two things alone, mm-hmm. which often lead to friction and actually dis, actually disappointment in what people are, are right. doing or, or, or not getting good results. So, and the data side of this, just linking back to Chris's book again, is so important because I see so many teams that chase the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of vanity metrics, make sure it looks yeah. like you're doing a good job, rather than looking at the numbers for the for the exercise of really establishing: Are we meeting the purpose we set out yeah. to do? Yeah. Right? Are we, are we making it? Yeah, and a little mention of your book there, Christine. And I, I know I remember from us serializing it last year that um, there was that you you did talk about why in your book as well, didn't you? About about make sure that we're measuring the right things and the insight. So so so, and, and I guess that's the way you guys are tied together. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's in one of the early chapters of the book, the importance mm. of having a mission statement with purpose and a value mm-hmm. that matters to customers, not just to you know the people in the company. And we say. Yeah. You know, companies are very good at saying what they do and how they do it, but not yeah. why they do it. Right. And so if people people tend to rush that piece because it's actually quite hard to do. But that's yeah. like, you know, buying a Ferrari without a steering wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The temptation is to jump in that amazing looking, shiny, powerful, yeah. uh, powerful car, but then you've got no steering wheel. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about slowing down to speed up to, to speed up and really mm-hmm. putting that effort into the what, why, how, where and getting alignment because as Jeremy said, any small kind of difference will mm-hmm. get and yeah. it all links back to trust because trust is an absolute all time low at the moment. Yeah. Um, so your customers will feel it. If you're slightly out of alignment, you know, we talk about the analogy of um, you know, if you've got two parallel train tracks and mm move one track by one degree 50 miles down the line they're one yeah. mile apart so you might yeah. you're on the same page you might think that you're in alignment because it sounds yeah. like the same but yeah. if you're not 100% in alignment then yeah. your customers will feel it your employees will feel it and mm. very quickly you will be out of alignment so mm. it's worth putting in that effort up front uh, yeah. to be clear about your purpose and your why yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, sorry, yeah, no. <laughs> Jeremy, and I saw you nodding so hard there, and um, <laughs> so I guess that you're the. And I'm not sharing the video, but yeah, you're nodding away. What? Uh, so, are you the steering wheel in in that in that Ferrari? Are you the one setting the train tracks? 
Well, certainly, uh, I think, you know, my goal is to help teams really establish this and not gloss over it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you know, both Chris and I have experienced um, organizations, teams that kind of gloss over this bit, that they kind of get a why that looks okay. Mm-hmm. And people are on the, I mean, the classic phrase is, I think we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, w- we both have interviewed, you know, functional leaders, even, you know, com- you know, together with the CEO, for example, and, you know, had the conversation where we've interviewed them separately. It says, why do you think we're here? What are we here to do? Why would customers care? And they come back with statements that are roughly the same. Mm-hmm. And they go, yeah, they see, look, we're, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not good enough. Um, you know, I, I, would, I guess the phrase would be uh, being on the, fra- on the same page is not good enough. You need to be on the same words. You need to yeah, be on the same yeah. meaning behind yeah. that. Um, and so, you know, it takes work and it's hard work, but I do think that uh, it pays off uh, yeah. because to Chris's point, what happens is that as you, you know, are trying to scale what you're doing, for example, or you're trying to drive some increase in volume, you're trying to get more of something, whatever that is, obviously mm-hmm. more, more revenues. But, it, but if, that, if that is really diverging across your organization uh, mm-hmm. with people leading in different ways or people doing things that are really slightly contradicting each other, even slightly contradicting each other, your customers will notice yeah. and it will show up as poor customer experience. It'll show up in your digital channels, in your, in your sales meetings, you know, in yeah. your, in your chat, it will show, it will show up differences and the customers yeah. will, will wonder whether they should trust you. Yeah. Yeah. Trust is a big thing. And again, I mean, I don't want to say your book every time we turn to you, Christine, but again, <laughs> I mean, your book really does cover a lot of ground. I mean, we just, we discussed that a lot. I mean, you do touch on almost every aspect of marketing in your book. Um, but so that trust thing is important, isn't it? Because it's that, I mean, it's what I, I've called um, consistency of intimacy that across all channels, you need to be consistent in what you know about your customer, what you say, but also, you know, what you say about yourselves in that situation too. Yeah, and we've seen from um, the the latest version of the um, release of the Edelman Trust Barometer, which yeah. I always follow every year. They're in the twenty first year now. Mm-hmm. And no surprise that trust really is at an all time low. Although there's mm. more trust in business um, than there is in 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 governments or or, or, or yeah, I saw that. Yeah, you know, particularly people have really don't trust the media anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so businesses have an opportunity now to you know, to lead the way and try and, and try and garner that trust. Um, yeah. Yeah. And when you talk about purpose, Jeremy, are, mm. are you talking, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot being said about brand purpose at the moment and a lot of cynicism yeah. around some brand purpose. And when mm. you're talking about purpose with the C-suite, is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Are you talking about the purpose of why is it that we're here? And what are we trying to achieve as a company and as a group and as a group of marketers? Well, so it certainly starts at the company level. And I think that, uh, you know, people can be skeptical of purpose that looks like it's serving mm-hmm. something, you know, because it's on trend and all those kind of yeah. things. So you've got to watch for that. But actually, um, I, I think purpose translates down through all but parts of the organization. Yeah. So, you know, I made reference to um, the fact that, you know, one of the places I started, actually, this goes back even about eight or nine years ago. One of the things I did with one of my teams was we, you know, we asked the question, you know, why are we really here? What is this 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 functional part of marketing yeah. here for. So I was leading yeah. the EMEA marketing team. Yeah. Why do we even have an EMEA marketing team? Wow. And actually one of the things that was born out of that was the fact that the field organization was, you know, fundamentally working with the sales organization hmm. and should be at the closest point to the customer, you know, because mm-hmm. we're often the ones who are physically, for example, when we could be in those days out mm-hmm. 
at events or with our partners yeah. at events. We, we're getting the literally word of mouth feedback, you know, while we're there, the real time feedback. So one of the things, so one of the roles and one of our purposes was to have that proximity uh, to the customer and to be able to use that to our advantage, but specifically to drive innovation and new things and new ways of serving our customers that could be fed back into the total marketing organization. Now that gave a purpose to the field team right. it was more than just executing in the field yeah, or yeah. getting on with execution, right? It was about, yeah. and so, and actually that was born out of some values that were also very present through the team. One of them yeah. being a strong desire for innovation and a strong desire for what we actually ended up terming find a way. Mm-hmm. find a way to really make the customer experience better find a way to fuel this innovation mm-hmm. back into the company and there were lots of things that came off the back of that over the next few years it was very powerful and very engaging and empowering for the team it's fantastic mm-hmm. yeah really good. I, I, I really like that and um that idea that um you brought that team together with that purpose but also the connection with the customer which i, I and, and getting off the hamster wheel of just doing the activity yes. and actually meeting the customers and figuring out what the right things to do and and christine I, I believe that you agree with this as well about this this idea that we shouldn't just be doing stuff for the sake of it right Absolutely. And if I if I go back to that jumping into that Ferrari straight away, mm-hmm. once you've done your, you know, sort of found your why as a company, mm-hmm. you need to move to, okay, and, and what does that say about the kind of customer that we want to go after and, and you know, what kind of segment yeah. and, and, and how do we reach those people? What channels uh, are they in? So if I, we, I talk about, um, you know, an ICP, an ideal customer profile, mm-hmm. well, it, what would our ideal customer look like? And and then from there, you have to sort of look at which of those attributes are, are actionable. Because right. sometimes you might say, well, this is an ideal customer, um, but you can't actually go and buy a customer. based. You, you can't go to a, a, a data mm-hmm. customer and say, you know, I'd like customers. Um, a, a lovely example of the past is coming up this beautiful uh, persona of a picky mm. data. Somebody thought that was a genius, but, you know, how are you going to go to a database company and say, give me all your picky choosers, please? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's got to be that, but it's a combination of that lovely description of, okay, what does an ideal customer look like? Yeah. And, and what segments are they in? And then what do they care about? Uh, and yeah. that you kind of you add in the human component of you know put yourself in your audience's world not your world yeah. in their language what they care about what's going to pull them into you and then and then looking at what channels they're in because of course you know the world's gone digital it already was mm-hmm. massively accelerated now and 70 percent of people are saying we're never going back to the way it mm-hmm. was. those yeah. channels are here to stay massively accelerated yeah. for you know web chat and video and social media channels social's gone crazy over the last year so mm-hmm. then we'll find out you know what, and what channels are they uh, are those customers in and what are they talking about and then you can start building your campaign roadmap mm. Mm, absolutely and and jeremy in your work is it is it is there a full circle in that christine's talking about the insights you would get you talked about the insights mm-hmm. you would get from the field being close to the customers does this yeah. then sort of reorientate the purpose of the organization based on that insight that you get when when you sort of do you then ladder that back up to the c-suite and say well yeah. actually your purpose is a little off what you need to be doing is this uh, completely uh, because actually um let's face it if you build your own purpose based on your own little world <laughs> of things people care about you know you're just going to be in your own little echo chamber that's that's not really going to help anyone you you need to ground it in the realities of 
who your customers really are, how they really think and why they really care. And that's another reason why the work can be quite challenging to do because you do actually need to do your homework and understand, you know, your, your customers. Uh, as we all talk about in market, marketing all the time, but it actually becomes, you know, incredibly important to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, the one of the things that happens with data a lot is that people will use data to re-justify opinions they already have. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, using data in the right way, right, which yeah. is to, to, I mean, I, I mean, my background is, uh, you know, I have a degree in physics, right? So I, I have right. a scientific way of looking at things, which is that you should look at things without prejudice. You know, you should be yes. looking at what does the data just tell us yes. and work from that rather yeah. than saying, can we find data that supports what I already think? Yes. It's a yes. very different way of using data. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, it will help you to um, uh, first of all ground. You know what you think you're really here for, what you're asking your teams to really do, what are meaningful outcomes versus ones that we don't really care about. You know that should all be grounded in data. But equally, you don't want to drown in the data to the point where you lose your creativity either. So, um, so it's a it's a nice kind of balance to really put all that into the mix and figure it out. Um, and it requires work. But my, as we both experienced, when you do it thoroughly and do it well, it will pay off. And it, the interesting thing is, I think it pays off over a long time. Yeah, as in yeah. it keeps paying off. You you may well adjust and refine over time what your purpose is, but that, that kind of sense that we know what we're here for mm-hmm. has an incredible uh, resiliency, I think, for teams to work with. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I love that, Jeremy. Um, but uh, we're kind of running out of time, so I better get on to my next and last question. Um, there's, I've already asked Christine this question a couple of times, I think. I'm going to ask you. Um, so on the, we have a regular series on Rockstar CMO that where they're called the swim pool where we ch- our portal to hell where we chuck all the marketing bullshit snake on overhyped trends that we hate. Uh, hopefully to never see again. What would you chuck into our Rockstar CMO swim pool? <laughs> uh so this this might be an odd one to throw in the pool because actually it's so critically important, but I hate the phrase. It's sales and marketing alignment. <laughs> really? <laughs> because, uh, uh, partly because um, it's like, if you're not doing it, why not? You have to do it. Uh, but also because I think it, sales and marketing alignment to me now is just too narrow. Mm-hmm. It, it, the, the blurring that we talk about between sales and marketing, I think the truth is it's blurring. Across, it has been blurring for some time, and I think it's become even more exaggerated across organizations, across right. all the functions, whether you're in support, right. you know, service, you know, CX, as some organizations call it. You know, yeah. you can't afford. Sorry, I'm waffling on about this because it, you can see it's a bit. That's, so that's why I'm throwing it in the swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's the it's the, it's the idea that there sh- there is a, a barrier is the is the thing going into the swimming pool. Not that we shouldn't be aligned, right? Summarizing it so beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> and Christine, I guess you go along with that too. Absolutely, yeah. It's yes. uh, it's about the whole the whole customer experience. Not not as I say the particularly with the blurring now of the the digital channels it really right. is every single touch point and it, and it's not just the shiny interfaces it's everything yeah. about that customer experience so what about the wording of the legal documents that you give to your customers you know what yeah. about the um the error messages that pop up you know yeah. what, what yeah. about the the technical documentation all of yeah. those things are part of the customer experience but people tend to think of the you know the shiny interfaces of when mm. else is the phone for example yeah, 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 the product itself, you know, that's a yeah, great yeah, example, absolutely. You know, yeah. yeah. 
And also uh, people talk about some of the best times to market somebody is when they've got a problem, right? So when they call your help desk is, is the good time. So it's alignment of everybody there. No, yeah. no silos. Alignment. Anyway, so as, as I wrap up, Jeremy, um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where can they find you and your new gig? Purposerocks.co.uk. Splendid. I love it. Purpose Rocks. And Christine, what's your new gig? It's uh, Sophia Marketing, spelt S-O-P-H-I-A, so sophiamarketing.co.uk. Splendid. And I presume that Jeremy, Christine, people can find you both on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the other places. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'll include links in the show notes to all of your places, and I'm glad we gave this three-way thing a go. So thank you very much for joining me. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Splendid. (laughs) My first three-way. Thank you, Christine and Jeremy. Fabulous conversation. We had a couple of technical hiccups that I think I rinsed out in the edit. So thanks to them both for their patience. And I will, of course, include links to their new endeavours and everything we discussed in the show notes. Right. It's that time of the week again. Well, soon we'll be out of lockdown and allowed out of the Rockstar CMO penthouse. I still need an escape this Friday evening. And where better to go than the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and see where my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, will transport us to this week. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It is nice to see you in the bar. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, you know what I have for you uh, Mm -hmm. this evening um, is I we're going to do margaritas. Um, Splendid. And it's you know so, but what we're going to do is we are going to put your much much i mean this is this is almost sacrilegious and and <laughs> tequila aficionados out there will start to uh curl their toes at this but we're gonna put there's a there's a, a tequila called casa dragones mm-hmm. um which i think we may have even talked about on this show before um which is, is it the just, smoky one it's an um, no this is a, it, it it is it is just a i mean they're just an amazing brand mm-hmm. uh, of tequila and yeah. very high end, right? Ooh. And those who are very high end tequila aficionados will will <laughs> like it's it's a little bit like when really uh, fine Scotch connoisseurs will cringe when you put ice in the Scotch. Wow. Um, I thought he was going to say Coca Cola in the same horse. Well, that too, um, but that is horrible. That's let's just let's just let's just empirically set that bar right now that 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 is actually awful Um, uh, but this is you know so we're going to make margaritas but we're going to use our much better than standard reposado Mm -hmm. which is a casa dragones reposado which is just absolutely loving lovely and we're not going to and we are going to abstain from the normal uh simple syrup or you know whatever margarita mix that you would purchase at the grocery store and we Mm -hmm. are instead going to use a fresh lime, a tiny bit of sugar, um, and then, um, of course, uh, the great tequila in there and pour it over ice. And then I'll offer you an option of a salt rim on the glass or not. I do the salt rim and, uh, and we'll do that. 
Well, yes. Well, I shall, with the ingredients I have on my desktop bar, attempt to make such a fine drink. Now, let's Mm. see what I have here. Did you put ice in that? Uh, Yes, there is ice in this one, yes. Jolly good. I'll put some ice in that. Um, I have um, something very similar to tequila. I think we've agreed on previous weeks. I have the Rupert of English gins, <laughs> as you described it last week. I have some Sip Smith gin. I that, pull that. Is, yeah, you you are you are are, are you are you purposely traveling the world of, of gins <laughs> and, and mediocre gins, or are you or do you have a do you have a design in mind here? Uh, well, I think I'm gonna. I think maybe, and if Dennis Shaw is listening, I might just keep choosing different gins until somebody actually tweets us. <laughs> ah, there you go. I think that's a, that's a fine plan. That's that's a little bit what they call uh, a, a trolling for business, is it not? Yes. I, I, don't, I thought it was content marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well played. I am going well to played. Well played. <laughs> I'm going to pour into this some... What did you put into yours? Some lime, uh, wasn't Well, it? you have a little fresh lime and a mm. tiny bit of sugar. Um... Uh, See, if, if I had some fresh sugar, it's even better. But otherwise, you want to try and dissolve it as much as possible. Right. And if I had some fresh lime and some liquid sugar, that would be a gimlet in this gin. But while you were chatting, I was pouring in some of this very nice cucumber uh, tonic. Yeah, it's amazing to me. You have the mediocre gin, and then you put in this beautiful, wonderful cucumber tonic water. It's how do you? What makes you think this is a mediocre gin? I, it's, it's, it's purely an opinion, my friend. <laughs> well, I've moved. Uh, I, I should. I should put your fate. Well, one. I think we've agreed on that you like back onto my desktop bar, shouldn't I? Um, because you liked it when I was drinking the uh, Bombay Sapphire. Didn't That's you? one of my favorites. Yes. Yes, I'll get the Bombay Sapphire back for next week. But I'll have a sip of this. What are we calling this, by the way? Uh, we're calling this a margarita. I mean, but I'm not sure what you're calling yours, but yes. <laughs> it's delicious. I, I could drink these margaritas every week, Robert, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> That's delicious. And um, where are we going to be drinking these fine drinks? You know, we are going to be going. So it is. So there's a special time of year here mm-hmm. um, in Southern California. And it happens in varying degree from the middle of March to the middle of April. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, uh, they call it the Desert Bloom. Um, and what happens is, is that we get most of our rain here in Southern California in uh, the February time frame, January time frame. This mm-hmm. year it might not happen because we haven't gotten the rain that we normally get. Um, yeah. Or it might happen late or it might be a very short season. But what happens is, is that... The desert gets all of its rain, and we are here in Southern California, primarily yeah. a desert uh, ecosystem. And right around in in a one week, sometimes a week and a half, sometimes two weeks, if we're really lucky, time period, all of the flowers and grasses in the desert bloom at one time. Wow. And so you get these immense fields of... Uh, yellow flowers, blue flowers, you know, and the whole <laughs> desert just basically lights up with color. Yeah. And it's quite a thing. And you can Google it if you want. Just Google Southern California desert bloom or mm-hmm. uh, spring bloom or those kinds of things. And you'll see all these pictures of people, you know, running through the flowers and all that. 
Nice. So it's time for that. It's it's right around time for that here in Southern California. So I thought what we would do is we'd go out to uh, one of my favorite places in the world, Joshua Tree National Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some small little restaurants out there that are just dives really more than anything else. A place where you can get a good margarita, some good mm-hmm. food, and find the desert blooms wherever we might find them. That sounds, that sounds amazing. And mm-hmm. I, mean, I guess that's your version of uh, the cherry blossom that happens in, on the East yeah, Coast. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's yeah, a little yeah, bit like the yeah. cherry blossoms in the Washington, well, D.C. or, or in yeah. Japan. Yeah. Yeah, or on a much larger scale, I should imagine. Uh, that sounds really nice. And where uh, and when we're sitting there, casting our eye over the blooming desert, uh, what are we going to be talking about? Well, you know, it's a it's <laughs> so the desert is always a good place to be quiet. Um, oh, but right. since that doesn't really work on a podcast, um, <laughs> I thought you know something that was is, is interesting. You know, I have this this theory uh, about. You know, well, you've been in meetings, right? You you mm-hmm. you you work for a living, so you go to meetings. Um, yes, and you you're in this meeting, and your coworker is talking about you know the state of the business or the results from last quarter or the proposed yeah. new project. And I I don't know if you're like me, but I I always have this internal Q and A dialogue going on in my head. It's like, you know, wow. That's a lot of data he just le- laid out, right? Do yeah. I agree with it? Yeah. Which statement should I respond to? Should I ask a question now? How about now? Mm-hmm. I'm ready with an mm-hmm. answer. Should I answer now? How should I say something to sound really smart? What was, what was that <laughs> last thing I was supposed to pick up from the groceries? Your head just goes, you know, in all kinds of things. And it's sort of yes. this idea, and you see it with people all the time, which is they're not really listening. They're sort of waiting mm-hmm. to talk, right? They're waiting yes. to speak. And they're yes. sort of finding their spots where... They're not really listening, but they're just all they're trying to do is is waiting to speak. And what I've noticed is is that in many cases in our content marketing strategy, we get into a similar pattern, especially where we're blogging a lot or we're you know we've got a podcast or we've got you know whatever it is we're, we're you know we've got a frequent cadence of content that we're yes. speaking at and in other words, we don't really listen to what the audience is caring about or or saying back to us. We're yeah. just kind of waiting to talk, right? So, for example, and you can see this always happening in marketing automation. Um, I was working this with, with this one company and they were sending leads to the sales team based on the number of articles or thought leadership papers that they downloaded, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, one case they've downloaded two papers and or one case they've, they've downloaded one paper and, you know, okay, they, they downloaded two papers. Ah, conversion triggered, must be ready for a sales guy to talk to them, right? Right. And the, in this one case, so there are two papers that get triggered, right? Mm-hmm. The first was just some piece of research, right, supporting the reasons that the industry is getting changed and all that. And the yes. second was this interview with one of the company's customers about their decision to make a change in their business. The algorithm then dutifully, boom, tagged this audience yes. member as a lead. Sales got the notification to call. Salesperson was very frustrated and fed this back to the marketing team that when they called this person, they indicated that she not only had no intention of buying, she wasn't even convinced that she needed to change yet. And so right. this, you know, if you looked at what she was actually downloading, yes. you can go, oh, right. 
right? The, yeah. This prospect was actually saying, I'm trying to understand this whole concept of industry change and what's going on, and I've got unanswered questions about why we should change. But the company was just like waiting for this time to go, great, how much change would you like to purchase today? You know? <laughs> and so, you know, we need to put in this, you know, there's a concept called active yeah. listening, of course, and, and yeah. it's something that we can really start to use when we yeah. start looking at not the numbers of things that people have downloaded or not the number of blog posts that have been read or yeah. whatever, but actually what it is yeah. that they're saying back to us by their consumption because yeah. audiences are telling us something in their consumption of the content we produce and we just need to listen oh this is brilliant well it's brilliant as i was sitting there listening to you rather than thinking about what i was going to say next <laughs> and nice. that's brilliant because um you're absolutely right we see that all the time so you see uh, this is my nurture one nurture two nurture three i need three things and if somebody interacts with three things they are therefore qualified that's right. You don't think about, well, that's really interesting, what you said there about actually looking at what, what that particular prospective client or contact, actually, she wasn't even a lead, was she, in, 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 in think, thinking from her point of view what it is that she's downloaded. That's really interesting. And it's the same with them. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've, uh, you know, when you, when you down, when you um, pay a huge amount for an analyst report that you put on your front homepage, uh, Newgate, and really they don't care about you. They just, they care about the Forrester report or they report, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to mention <laughs> any names. get it, right? Yeah. They yeah. Just wanted, yeah. This is yeah. the easiest way for me to find out about this industry. Um, and, uh, and you know, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I love that. I love that idea. And, and what's, um, I guess I guess this because normally I say, well, what do you normally do to, to change that? It's simple, isn't it? You just you just watch what people are consuming and then and then join the dots from that. Yeah, it's just adding another. So look, you yeah. know, there are plenty of there are plenty of examples, and I'm sure there are people out there maybe barking at the at the at their their you know their home listening device or their headphones mm-hmm. or whatever they're doing to listen to this, and they're saying, yeah. but it can be that way, right? It can actually be a quantification thing that gives you a strong, you know, the, the fancy word mm. these days is we call it intent data, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, 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 you know, pulling and, you know, uh, processing intent data to understand when and where we should, yeah. you know, deliver the next best experience for this person. And at yeah. some point, introduce them to a sales message, right? Whether that be a sales message of here's the thing, buy it now, uh, yeah. And or the you know salesperson calling that person up and saying, "Hey, we've got something that you might be interested in." The yeah. key is just it's not the action; it's the content in the action. Absolutely, yeah. And that's so what's brilliant the, about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's the so it's it's the it's not that it, the salesperson shouldn't have called. Yeah. It's that what is the content of the salesperson saying? Yeah. And so if you literally just have the salesperson understand the context of mm. what it is that was consumed, mm-hmm. they could have simply called and said, instead of how much change would you like to purchase today, or how yeah. much, how many Salesforce licenses, or you know whatever licenses yeah. you want to speak to, yeah. you know, instead of that, they call up and say, hey, listen, we know you have questions about this. I'd like to point you to some other content that might be useful for you in your exploration. Yeah. And if you'd like to have a quick consult with this, I'd love to get on the phone with you and talk about this and blah, blah, blah. And hopefully I can help help you, you know, help you understand better. 
Mm. And yeah, that, that, you know, so it's a salesperson actually delivering value instead of simply trying to move something through a funnel. Yeah, and, that, and this now pulls a topic uh, I think I've talked about before um, uh, with, with, uh, is that there's actually a gap, isn't there, between marketing content and business development. And that's where that kind of happens, isn't it? Because that person who was who was doing the business development had no context of what this person had consumed and probably didn't ha- may not even have access to those those um, well, it's assets. Funny. Yeah, it's funny. We we often say that, right? We often mm-hmm. say marketing content is supposed to do X and sales yep. content is supposed to do Y, and X and Y are so completely and definitively yeah. defined around the process or the function yeah. of the of, of marketing and sales, right? So we say, mm-hmm. ooh, marketing is supposed to persuade, it's supposed to yeah. you know, move people yeah, through yeah. a funnel, it's supposed to move people yeah. through this process, and it's supposed to deliver value and all the things yeah. along the way. And then when we hand it off to sales, it immediately changes into, you know, the you know we have to close the deal yeah and neither of those things are binary right no. marketing should be selling sometimes and sales should be marketing sometimes and yeah. all the way through you know because the customer cares that they're a lead or a qualified lead or an opportunity not at all right no. they're just trying to get a job done and yeah. And what we need to understand is what is the job they are trying to get done and have them self-discover at some point, either in the marketing process or the sales process, which look very, very similar, Mm -hmm. um, how, you know, that, oh my gosh, you guys are where I should, you know, invest my whatever it is I'm going Mm -hmm. to invest in. Yeah. And that, and that, those two content touches uh, that you mentioned should have been the conversation starter, shouldn't they? And they're exactly. not exactly. Yeah, yeah. By yeah, looking absolutely. at it, and and then you go, well, how do you do that? Well, yeah. Well, there's a whole you know level of. I mean, the technology certainly exists for this, but there's yes. a whole level of metadata that you can start to associate with both sales content, sales enablement content, marketing content, and content marketing content that says, <laughs> here's the context in the yes. customer's journey of what this is trying to solve. Yes. And when you start to look at that and the sales guy goes, oh, got yeah. it. This person yeah. is still in the inquisition stage and is feeling a little you know, uncertain about the change in yeah. his or her industry. Maybe the phone call I'm going to employ here is not one that says, can I sign you up for a demo or can I sign you, can I, can I come on site and give you a dog and pony show of a PowerPoint about why we're so awesome? Maybe yeah. it's, Given that the context that they're in in their customer's journey, maybe the right approach here is to say, hey, how do I help you understand more? You know, yeah. how do I sign yeah. you up for our email newsletter? How do I, you know, whatever it is for your mm-hmm. particular business, right? Mm-hmm. And the data that sales guy will have at his fingertips about that customer is probably going to be deep and huge. But the, the data they have at their fingertips about the content, they won't even know, will they? They fair may enough, know the title. Right? Yeah, of fair some, enough. Yeah, yeah. It, I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, it's it's it it. You know, there's there's three pieces to this, right? There's the yeah. one: what data do we have, yeah. and what data can we make available at every step along the way? Yeah, that's pretty straightforward to solve because the technology and the thinking yeah. is there to be able to solve it. Yeah. Two is not looking at marketing and sales as two distinct, separate, yeah. you know, processes, but rather yeah. one integrated process. Yeah. And three is the training and, you know, how you view marketing people and salespeople, which also mm-hmm. should be an integrated, you know, yeah. uh, piece of this where 
salespeople are at their core marketing people. They're, they're there to deliver value to customers. That's what they're there to do. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. I'd, I'd love to pick at this a bit more, but I know that um, we're coming up to time. So, um, Robert, where can people find these kinds of thoughts of yours? Well, I would imagine CMO rock stars are really great <laughs> to get these kinds of insights. This wonderful show. Um, beyond that, if you want to connect with me, you can yes. do so at uh, contentadvisory.net is my little hovel uh-huh. web. And if we spin the dial on the interwebs, where would we find you, sir? Uh, well, of course, there's all sorts of social media, LinkedIn, Twitter. <laughs> I'm Robert underscore Rose. And of course, LinkedIn, you just do a search and whatever you do. All right, mate. Well, and will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. I look forward to it. Thanks, mate. See you then. Thank you, Robert. So are you waiting to talk with your content marketing? Let me know what you think of what we discuss. I will, of course, include all of Robert's links in the show notes. So that's a wrap on episode 56 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Jeff, Christine, Jeremy and Robert. I really appreciate their time. So please share that you heard them on our show. Check out their links in the show notes, follow them and share their work. You can find the show notes on your favourite podcasting platform or at rockstarcmo.fm. We can also find all our previous episodes. So what do you think? Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let me know. Leave a review, subscribe, share or get in touch. You can find us at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will continue with Privacy the Marketer's Dilemma. I chat to Sarah Griesenbach of the B2B Writing Institute and Robert Rose will be back in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.